Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Israel Travel Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Whitney O'Halleck, and I'm here with my co-host, John. Hey, everybody. Shalom. And together, we are here to bring you more of the best information, insights, advice, reviews, and recommendations to help you plan the trip of a lifetime to the Holy Land in Israel. In this third episode of the Israel Travel Podcast, we're going to be talking all about how to structure the perfect itinerary in Israel. So in other words, where should you go first? Where should you end up at the end of your trip? What order do you need to do things to make it make sense and be efficient for you? What do you see in between and along the way? How do you get there? We're going to talk about all of that. So remember in the last episode, we talked about how when you're flying into Israel, you are going to be landing at Tel Aviv, Ben Gurion International Airport, which is actually about a third of the way between Tel Aviv and Israel. So once you get there, you get through. Between where? What? Between a third of the way between where? What did I say? (laughs) Uh, You said a third of the way between Tel Aviv and Israel. Can I make a request to leave this in? (laughs) Sorry, y'all. Make that Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. (laughs) So once you step off the plane and you get through customs and everything at the airport, where do you go? Do you start west in Tel Aviv? Do you start east in Jerusalem? Do you be like me and go up north to Galilee or to Haifa? It all depends on what you want, but you're probably not going to want to head south just to throw that out there first thing, because that's basically no man's land. That is the Negev desert, and you're not going to hit anything for about four hours. (laughs) So unless a lot is your only destination that you're planning to visit in Israel, don't start your journey with a four hour car ride, please. So let's dive right into this very important topic. John, what do you think? Where should you start out in itinerary for your first trip to Israel? Well, first of all, 100% agree with you. Riding anywhere in Israel for four hours means you've done something very wrong. You know, Israel at its narrowest point is only eight miles wide. And so, I mean, if you drive four hours in almost any direction, except south, like Whitney mentioned, you'd still be in Israel. But any other direction, if you drive four hours, you're going to end up literally in Syria, in Lebanon, in the Islamic State. Who knows what else is around there? You really have three choices in terms of how to start an itinerary in Israel. You can head west to Tel Aviv, you can head north to the Galilee region, Haifa, that area, or you can head east to Jerusalem. The way I would prefer to start, even actually after having been to Israel many times, I still prefer to start a trip to Israel every time, especially a first time, heading east to Jerusalem. The first thing to know about Jerusalem is that And we can talk a little bit more later about how the sites, the cities, the places around the country of Israel are grouped. But the most important thing to know, I think, is that Jerusalem is sort of the epicenter of the vast majority of places that most people want to see on a first, even second or third trip to Israel. Most of the big stuff that people want to see in Israel is either in Jerusalem or a very short day trip from Jerusalem. So it's a great starting point. It's a great base to see about 75% of the stuff that people want to see when they're visiting Israel, especially for the first time. Now, with that said, let me also tell you where I would end a trip to Israel. I like to start in Jerusalem, go through your entire itinerary, and there are many ways you can slice that apple, and we'll talk about them as well. Many different directions you can go, routes you can take. But I like to end a trip to Israel in Tel Aviv. And there are a couple of reasons for that. In my opinion, it doesn't matter why you're going to Israel. If you're going for exploring another country, if you're going for religious pilgrimage, whether you're Jewish, Christian, Muslim, most 
of the hardcore stuff you're going to be doing, most of the most exciting things you're going to be seeing, most of the adrenaline that's going to be pumping through your body as you're seeing these bucket list sites are going to be in and around Jerusalem. So when you get to Tel Aviv, honestly, at the end of a trip like this, at the end of a bucket list trip, you're going to be exhausted. Even if you're not walking around, hiking up hills, climbing over rocks, if you're just listening to people talk about things that you're intensely interested in, it can be mentally draining and you're going to be exhausted at the end of a trip. I like to end any trip to Israel in Tel Aviv because Tel Aviv, as we've talked about before in previous episodes, is a very modern, fun, relaxing city. At the end of a trip, whether it's 5, 7, 10, 12, 14 days, in Tel Aviv, you can relax. You can go to the spa. You can go to the beach. It's different. If you're a foodie, you can find tons of food diversity there. But in Jerusalem, to be perfectly honest, if you end a trip in Jerusalem, in my opinion, it's sort of a Debbie Downer. Jerusalem is definitely a much more conservative city, not only because it's the center of sort of religious pilgrimage and history, but shops close earlier. They take Shabbat more seriously there. Tel Aviv, for the end of a trip, when you want to relax, when you want to let your hair down and have fun, is, in my opinion, a better location. It's also near the airport. The major international airport is about a third of the way to Tel Aviv and two-thirds of the way to Jerusalem. And so if you end a trip in Tel Aviv, if you are not a morning person and you like to sleep in, if you're like me, then being closer to the airport at the end of a trip is a plus. It's a pro. So staying in Tel Aviv at the end of a trip, being closer to the airport, for me, is just another reason to end a trip in Tel Aviv. Again, it's pros and cons. Honestly, if you started a trip in Tel Aviv and ended it in Jerusalem, there are many reasons why that would be great too. There's no best time to go to Israel. The time is when you have time. I would say the same thing about the topic of this episode. The best way to structure an itinerary is however works best for you. These are some tips on how we would do it. If for some reason you have to start in Tel Aviv and into Jerusalem, it will not be a bad trip. I promise. There's no bad way to do Israel. But I'm curious, actually, Whitney, why... On your last trip to Israel, when we were there together in April, why did you decide to go north to the Galilee first instead of what I would consider sort of number one or number two, either Tel Aviv or Jerusalem? I think it might be because I'm a middle child and I like to do things differently. All right, Jan. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, Jerusalem to me was the end of Jesus' life and the big things are there in Jerusalem. But Galilee is where he started his whole ministry. It's where the first miracle was done. It's where he walked on water. It's where he grew up in Nazareth, which is close to Galilee. So I wanted to do that first. I also knew that it was my furthest point. So I just, in general, I kind of like to start things at the furthest point and work my way back. I find that that works well for me when I travel. I travel very differently from John, I guess. And so to me, it made more sense to start in Galilee and work my way to Jerusalem. One of the most important things that I wanted to do was take a boat ride out on the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus walked on water, where some of the disciples were fishermen, um, where a lot of the miracles happened. So I wanted to knock that off the list first. And I did. And it was great. And I don't regret it at all. (laughs) But so I started around Galilee. I stayed in Tiberias that first night and worked my way around Galilee with my guide. Capernaum is right on the Sea of Galilee. And they call it the town of Jesus. Then we went to Nazareth where he grew up. And I saw Mary's house, which is under a church and Joseph's workshop, which is under another church. 
I wanted to knock those things off first because that was the, like I said, the beginning of Jesus ministry. And then I wanted to head down to Jerusalem and do all of the things kind of towards the end of his life. So that's why I started in Galilee and did Jerusalem kind of in the middle and then ended up in Tel Aviv for a little bit of rest and relaxation by the beach. So that's actually a really good point that Whitney brings up. You've heard now from me and from her two different perspectives on sort of how to think about structuring an itinerary. So just to kind of back up a little bit and give everybody a little bit of a sort of a bird's eye view on what we're talking about here, the way I approached it, and when she you know, first tossed the question to me and I was thinking about it, I was thinking about kind of like when I travel in regions like this or countries like this that have like big bucket list sites and that are big bucket list destinations, I tend to think about what are the biggest things that are there? The biggest things I want to see, the top things on my list, I want to knock those out first. And I also think about this too, in the context of, you know, I work in Egypt as well. And I just see, I've seen over 20 years, people come to Egypt. The first thing they want to see when they get there is the pyramids. They want to see the biggest thing first, the most famous thing first, then the Sphinx, and then, you know, the tombs and the temples. But I almost never hear of somebody who doesn't want to see the pyramids on the first day. And that's kind of how I think about travel everywhere. When I go somewhere, I want to see the biggest thing, the most exciting thing to think I've been looking forward to the most on the first day or in the first day or two. But Whitney presented a really good rationale, I think, for doing it differently, especially if you're going for biblical history, for religious tourism on a pilgrimage, or even if you're not religious and you're just interested in biblical history and you're familiar with it and you kind of want to explore that side of it as well, there's a very good rationale for doing it exactly as Whitney talked about doing it chronologically, especially if you have a story in your head, if you have a narrative or history in your head, if that helps you follow things better, if that helps you process things better, that's a really good reason for doing it other than the way I said. For example, like Whitney said, you know, following the chronology of Jesus's life, where he started in the North, where he lived, where he worked, and then he didn't start out in Jerusalem. He didn't start out in Bethlehem. You know, those came later. Uh, well, I guess he did start out in Bethlehem, right? Well, yeah, but that's like right next to Jerusalem. So it didn't make sense to do that first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Whitney has a great point. There's alternative strategies and it just depends on kind of how you want to approach things, how you want to organize things in your head, your normal travel habits. These all factor into what might make a, a, a logical choice for how to structure an itinerary in Israel. And like I said, there's no wrong way to do it. No matter how you do it, you're going to have an amazing time. No matter how you do it, you're going to you know, never forget these things. But you do actually need to make some choices. You need to plan a first step, a second step. You need to book a first hotel, then a second hotel. You need to book transportation. So you do actually have to think about these things. And so to start with, those are two really good ways to think about how to structure your itinerary. And I think another really important thing to consider when you're structuring your itinerary is that you really can't see everything from one location. So you are going to have to book multiple hotels. You are going to have to stay in different places. You're going to have to figure out how to get from point A to point B. You could base yourself in Jerusalem for three or four days and have a fantastic trip. But a day trip to Galilee from Jerusalem is an exceptionally long day. And if you wanted to do Caesarea or Haifa from Jerusalem, that's an exceptionally long day. And so you are just going to have to think about where things are, how close things are, kind of get a map out on your phone and map how far the distances actually are and how you get from one place to another. And just be thinking about that while you're planning your itinerary, because you could only be in Tel Aviv, but you're going to have a lot of time in the car getting to all of the things that you want to see. Yeah. And I would actually say, if you order the ways to structure an itinerary from sort of best to least ideal... I would actually say if for some reason you have to only be in one place, let's say, for example, I'm just going to invent an example. 
say that you're trying to do the trip on the cheap and you're booking your hotel on points and you have to stay in the same hotel the whole time. I would actually stay in Jerusalem. If you have to only stay in one place, I would stay in Jerusalem over Tel Aviv because most of the sites you want to see are going to be in or around Jerusalem. And like Whitney said, some of them are going to be a long day trip from Jerusalem. But if you want to do a long day trip two or three times, you can do it. I wouldn't do it. It's not recommended, but in theory, it's physically possible. I don't know that I would do that from Tel Aviv, though, because if you stay in Tel Aviv, you're going to end up doing every day as a long day trip, as opposed yeah. to only two or three days being a long day trip. But like Whitney said, you're going to have to move around. Just, you know, you're going to have to unpack a few times. I'd say at least, what do you think? I tend to say you at least have to stay in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. I think both of us would agree that you probably should also spend at least one, if not two nights up in the north, maybe in Tiberias and Nazareth maybe in Haifa, somewhere up in the north. What do you think? Do you think that's necessary? Or do you think you can kind of, I mean, some people do, and I've actually done this before. I've done a swing up to the Galilee, spent an entire day up in Galilee, come down back through Nazareth, and then spent the night in Tel Aviv. That is a long, challenging day, but Mm -hmm. I've done it before. But I've also stayed in Tiberias before, and that is a much more manageable, reasonable day. I agree with that. You can base yourself in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, but it's really worth it to also add in Galilee as a one or two nights. I had one night in Galilee and I wish that I had taken two nights just because it was the day that I went from Galilee to Jerusalem was a really long day. And keep in mind, I wasn't coming from Jerusalem. I was starting in Galilee and going down to Jerusalem and it was still a very long day. So I would personally say Jerusalem is an absolute must. Tel Aviv is second. And if the Galilee sites are as important to you as they were to me, then you definitely want to spend at least one or two nights in the Galilee area. And that could be Tiberias. That could be Nazareth. Magdala is also has a brand new nice hotel. And those are all in the Galilee region. So those are the three that I would say. If you're staying a week or more, plan on staying in three different places while you're there. What would you say to that? First of all, I'd say I think you're being generous because I think you know that I like Tel Aviv and I love sort of the, the, the modern atmosphere of Tel Aviv. I love the bars. I love the clubs. I love the restaurants. I love the beach. So I think when Whitney says Tel Aviv is a second to Jerusalem, I think she's being very generous to me. I mean, (laughs) tell me, I, I think. For those who actually are more interested in religion than going out to Tel Aviv Best Clubs, I mean, I would say probably for them and probably to you, if you're not being nice to me, like you always are, you probably <laughs> you probably say that the Galilee is probably region number two for people, right? Because that I, has... For me, Galilee region was definitely the number two. However, okay. I have to agree with you. Having the beach in Tel Aviv is awesome. I am a wannabe island girl. I love the beach and I love a city next to a beach. But what I really and what John did not enjoy as much as I did about Tel Aviv was staying in Old City Jaffa, because that is where Jonah set out in the book of Jonah to run away from Nineveh and run away from God. That was a really important sight for me to see, even though it's just the old port. They also have a whale fountain (laughs) to commemorate the event. But that was an important sight to me that I couldn't have seen I mean, I could have seen it on a day trip from Jerusalem, but it was nice to have the whole day to be in Old City Jaffa. Also, Simon the Tanner's house. There's a church on top of it now, but that was where Peter appealed or raised Tabitha from the dead was there. 
And that's also where he had his vision that told him that Christianity was for everybody, not just for the Jews. So those were two important sites for me to be able to see. But also as a history person, I really love an old city. I love cobblestones. I love the imperfect thousands of year old buildings. So it was also worth it to me to stay in Tel Aviv Jaffa for different reasons than John likes Tel Aviv. (laughs) And you know what? I'll give you one thing though on Jaffa. Actually, I do like Jaffa and probably we didn't get to talk about it a lot when we were there together, but I like Jaffa for different reasons. So for people who don't know, Tel Aviv and Jaffa, sometimes you see it actually written as Tel Aviv-Jaffa on maps, because basically Jaffa is the old city, the historic biblical area, the port area that has many of the sites and places that Whitney was talking about from thousands of years ago. But also Jaffa is the Arab area. So when we talk about sort of medieval history as well, Jaffa was an Arab city after the Islamic conquest of that region. And Tel Aviv, a little bit to the north, it was settled more by Jews, and then it became sort of the modern technological, and even now today, secular capital of Israel. And so you have these two cities that are essentially now merged. I mean, you can walk between the two and not even know you've crossed into the other. That's why you see it sometimes written or said Tel Aviv Jaffa or written Tel Aviv or Tel Aviv dash Jaffa or Jaffa dash Tel Aviv. One of the reasons I actually, I, I really do like Jaffa. When we were there a couple months ago, I was really pleased to be there because, well, number one, I normally stay in Tel Aviv further up the beach. I go down to Jaffa, you know, for dinner or I go down there if I have something down there, but I don't normally stay down there and spend a lot of time down there, but I like it because it does have a quaint charm to it. Even in more modern times, Jaffa was, Jaffa still is a very Arab part of Tel Aviv. You almost feel like you're in Cairo or Amman when you're in Jaffa. Everybody coexist. Everybody gets along. There's a lot of Jewish residents of Jaffa, Arab residents of Jaffa. There are bars there. There are street parties. You know, Everybody gets along. But Jaffa has like this quaint character that you don't find further north in this modern city of Tel Aviv. And so I actually really like Jaffa. I think when you were... So by the way, from time to time, when you hear Whitney talking about, you know, when I had a guide or I was out with this guide or we're doing something with this guide, we actually test out guides. We secret shop guides. And so um, on this last trip, Whitney actually took a couple of different guides around to different areas, not telling them who we were, not telling them that we work in travel, et cetera, et cetera, just to kind of see how they are. You know, sometimes we like to just try out new people and see if maybe it's someone we want to hire, someone we want to work with, someone we want to partner with. I think, Whitney, when you were out with a guide in Jaffa, I was wandering around the city. I think I took my laptop and I went to a couple of different places and I was wandering around the city and there were street parties going on, just sort of impromptu street parties. And it was amazing. I mean, it was like this quaint, quirky, cute little village in the middle of this huge Tel Aviv urban metropolis. And so you have a lot of contrast there in Tel Aviv. You have a lot of contrast in Israel generally. That's one of the reasons that makes it so, so amazing. I absolutely agree. I think one of the reasons there were so many parties there that day is it was Saturday. So it was Shabbat. So people weren't at work. And there's a lot of secular Jews who don't work on Shabbat, but they can they can go do other things. And so there were a lot of people out that day. Also, remember, we didn't even, or I didn't even realize we were there right before Israeli Independence Day. Yeah, the weekend before the Independence Day. And I didn't even look at a calendar. I had no clue. They were getting ready for this huge national holiday. And I was just kind of like, why is everything different than it normally is? So that's another thing that we definitely should warn people about if warn is the right word. Shabbat, holidays, the Jewish calendar is totally different from the rest of the world's calendar. So holidays move, but Shabbat is always a factor because it happens every week. 
So when you're planning your itinerary, you really need to be aware of the holidays there. Make sure that you know that things are going to be closed on Shabbat. Just kind of keep those things in mind that there won't be as many taxis and things are just different around holidays. It's not like holidays in America where everybody goes out because everything is open. Things are not open on Jewish holidays and even Muslim holidays as well. That's actually a really good point because I wouldn't say that we're not generally aware of when the holidays fall because this is actually sort of a trick. Okay. And the Israel Independence Day is a perfect example of this because personally, because I've worked in this region for 20 years, I know very well that Israel Independence Day falls in the middle of May every year. Israel declared independence on 14 May, 1948. And so according to our calendar, May 14th is the anniversary of that. So yeah, the 14th of May, 1948 is the day on which Israel declared its independence. So technically, according to our calendar, that's Israel's Independence Day. And in Israel, that's also one of Israel's Independence Days. But like Whitney mentioned in several instances already, in Israel, you have not only the Western calendar, but you have the Jewish calendar. So Israel Independence Day is essentially celebrated twice. It's celebrated every year on the 14th of May, but it's also celebrated whenever it happens to fall that year on the Jewish calendar. And so when we were there, the Jewish calendar version of Israel Independence Day was happening while we were there, which changes every year. I don't keep up with the Jewish calendar. I have enough trouble keeping up with our own calendar. It was happening when we were there on the Jewish calendar, and I thought, we're still a couple of weeks out from Israel Independence Day. Why is everybody getting putting out flags and celebrating Israel Independence Day? And then somebody told me, oh, but this is the Jewish calendar's version of Israel Independence Day. Okay, actually it gets more complicated than that. Not only do you have to know the Jewish holidays, the Israeli holidays, you also have to know the Muslim holidays because there's a significant Muslim or Arab population in Israel. And then you have to know the holidays according to the Jewish calendar, which are different from the holidays according to our calendar. And then if you really want to get technical, and I don't think you have to worry about this in Israel, but we do in Egypt, sometimes we have to worry about the, the Islamic calendar as well. But anyway, for our purposes here in Israel, just remember, there are official holidays according to our Western calendar. Some holidays fall also on the Jewish calendar. And then some actually fall just on the Jewish calendar and not on the Western calendar. And then maybe sometimes you have to deal with the Muslim holidays as well. It's just complicated. All the more reason to go with a tour company that knows how to plan around a calendar and make sure yeah. you don't end up stuck at the airport or stuck at a bus station or not able to you know, do something that you need to do because some random holiday is going on according to some other calendar you didn't even know existed. And then you know you end up missing half your trip. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but honestly, these are considerations. Not a are... lot. You're not exaggerating a lot. <laughs> exactly. <I mean. laughs> There's yeah. a lot of just factors to be aware of. And you're right. It, that's one of the benefits of going with a tour company is that they have already taken care of the calendar stuff for you. They already know what the logistics are and how to work around them. Because that was kind of a problem with my first trip to Israel. I had to kind of figure out on the fly how to work around some things that I wasn't really expecting, which was fine. I mean, I, I made it. I'm here. I did it. <laughs> but it just would have been a whole lot easier if I'd had somebody to say, okay, this is why we're doing this first, because this is coming up and we need to avoid that. You know, So it just made it a little bit easier when I was with a guide versus when I was trying to do it by myself. And we want to 
do the same for you. Make sure that it is easier for you so you don't end up feeling like you're missing out on something. You really can miss out on some things. If you don't know that sites close on certain days, if you don't know that it's going to be a holiday on the Jewish calendar, you really can miss out on some things. I've done that not only in Israel, but in many places around the world. I missed out on things that I really wanted to see on a trip and didn't have any days left to make it up. Yeah. It's happened to me too. It, I mean, if you travel a lot, it happens. It just happened to my husband and me recently in Bermuda. It was Heroes Day and everything on Bermuda was closed except for maybe one thing. <laughs> so <laughs> we got to do exactly one thing and all of the restaurants were closed. And so it, it happens all over the place, but it's in particular, you're going to run into it in Israel. And actually on my first trip to Israel, it happened to fall in the last 10 days of Ramadan before Eid. And so I couldn't go to the Temple Mount, which is a really important site that I wanted to see. But my whole trip was within that 10 days. So I didn't get to go up and see it. So it happens, but let us help you make sure it doesn't happen to you. You know, that's a really good point because as many times as I've been to Israel, I have never made it to the Temple Mount. Really? Yeah. It's literally just been a coincidence. Every time I've been there, when I've been in Jerusalem and I happen to be in the old city and I'm like, oh, I haven't been there yet. Let me let me go there. It's always on a Friday. And then when we were there a couple of months ago, I remember we were walking through the old city and it was not on a Friday. And I was thinking, okay, finally, I can make it to Temple Mount. And then we try to go there and they stop us and say, are you Muslim? Clearly not. Okay, you can't go in there. And like you just said. I didn't even think about the fact that, okay, it's the last 10 days of Ramadan. It's Eid. It's a special period where even if it's not Friday, if you're not Muslim, you can't go to the Temple Mount. And so I've just had bad luck. Every time I've been in the vicinity of the Temple Mount and I've tried to go, it's either been a Friday or a random 10-day period that I didn't even know was restricted. And I haven't made it there yet. So I still need to make it to the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount. Still on your bucket list after all this time. Yikes. It's on my bucket. Now it's moved up to the top of my bucket list. It wasn't at the top, but now it's at the top. You know, I think another thing that's really important to talk about and to tell people about is I don't think a lot of people sort of realize Israel is a small country, but some of the sites around Israel are grouped together and knowing how they're grouped and where they are can really help you plan an itinerary there. So for example, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I was just making this number up. I said 75% of the sites you're going to want to see are in and around Jerusalem. It could be 40, it could be 67 and a half. I don't know. But a lot of the sites you're going to want to see are in and around Jerusalem. Maybe we should start with talking about first some of the sites that are not around Jerusalem. So I was thinking, Whitney, the Galilee, you mentioned a couple of sites earlier that up in that region. Maybe let's review some of those and just kind of give people a sense of what's up there. Because if you've never been to Israel, if you don't study maps, if you don't know where a lot of these places are, you may think, you know, Nazareth, Bethlehem. Jerusalem, Galilee, you don't know if these places are a thousand miles apart or a thousand feet apart. So maybe let's start with the Galilee. Like what is up in that region that might be of interest to people to see? The nice thing about the Galilee is that in the olden days, things, cities, places where people lived were centered around a water source and the water source for there is the Sea of Galilee. So the Sea of Galilee is a huge thing that you're going to want to see. Take a boat out there. It's amazing. But also right around there is the site where Jesus fed the 5,000, where Jesus fed the 4,000, the Mount of Beatitudes, Capernaum, 
all of these places are around the Sea of Galilee. So you can see all of them in probably all of those places in half a day, maybe a little more than a half a day. And then there's a few things that are a little bit further out. So you've got Nazareth, which is, I want to say it's like an hour away from Galilee. And so there you've got Mary's house, Joseph's workshop, Mount Precipice, where they chased Jesus when they were chasing him out of town and they wanted him to fall off the cliff. So all of those places are close to Galilee, but a little bit further away. So you want to make sure that you're structuring your Galilee day or days with that in mind, that these are all in the Galilee region. Most of them are around the Sea of Galilee, but some of them are a car ride away, just to keep that in mind. What else do you, I know the Golan Heights is up there. I haven't been to the Golan Heights, but I think John has. Is that true? I have, and that's actually an interesting topic to bring up because for those who don't know, the Golan Heights, in some circles, it's considered controversial. So the Golan Heights, as far as Israel is concerned, is a part of Israel now. The Golan Heights used to be a part of Syria, but when Syria used to launch missiles down into the Galilee region onto civilians from the Golan Heights, and it's called the Golan Heights because it is, it's a high piece of land. It's, it's mountainous. So when they say the Golan Heights, you're talking about the high areas of the mountains on top of the, the high mountains in that region. And back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, when Israel and Syria were fighting wars, Syria used to launch artillery from those mountains down onto civilian populations in the Galilee region. And so at some point, Israel said, we're not having this anymore. And they took that mountain range, essentially, and said, Syria is no longer going to have it. It's ours. We're never trusting them again not to launch missiles or artillery onto our civilian population from here. This is now part of Israel. And so it's been decades and decades and decades. So functionally now, this is part of Israel. Israel's annexed it. It's Israel. So in addition to being historically significant for that reason, it's also a really fertile and rich area that has, for example, lots of wineries. Golan Heights has some of Israel's best wineries. I've been to wine tastings up in, in the Golan Heights, and not only do you have some of Israel's best wines coming from that region, but you have a lot of great dessert wines. Even if you're not into wine, you don't like the maybe sour or bitter or dry taste of wine. If you like sweet things, there are some great dessert wines that come from that region. I've actually brought wines back from wineries in the Golan Heights and given them as gifts. They make great gifts. So there's a lot of things, you know, whether it's political history, military history, if you're into wineries and wine tastings, there's a lot of other things up in the Golan Heights like that as well. It's also home to a Druze community. I actually have a friend that lives in Tel Aviv, and he is Druze. And we can get into some of these ethno-religious minorities and distinctions in another episode. It's, it's a whole complicated topic, but the Druze are another minority population that live in Israel that are really distinct from the Jews, that are distinct from the Muslims, that are distinct from even sort of ethnically from Arabs and things like that. The Golan Heights is a, a home to one of the Druze populations in Israel as well. So it's a really distinct region for, for many people for many reasons. And Whitney leaves it up to me to talk about the alcohol highlights because she doesn't drink. But I, definitely I don't do. drink. But, you know, there's people out there who don't like coffee, and those are the people that I don't understand. So, you know, <laughs> to each their own. To each their own, yeah. So the Galilee is sort of the northeast of Israel. So the Sea of Galilee is in the northeast. The Golan Heights are just east of that, overlooking the Galilee. That whole region we kind of generally refer to as the Galilee region. I generally group the Golan Heights into the Galilee region as well, because it's, I mean, literally it rises up from the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
Yeah, just geographically, it's close together. So it just makes sense. We're not trying to be political or anything. It just makes sense geographically to group those all as the Galilee region. And in the same region of the north, so the, you know, Israel's a small country, so we're not talking like thousands of miles apart or even hundreds of miles apart. We're talking like dozens of miles apart. If you go to the west a little bit, you're actually going to run into the Mediterranean Sea. And right about that point is where you find the city of Haifa. It's the largest city in northern Israel. It's actually the home or one of the homes to the Baha'i faith. So you have one of the biggest attractions in Haifa are the Baha'i Gardens, which is this beautiful terraced garden on a hill in Haifa that overlooks the sea. And it's just, it's really an amazing site. A lot of people go to Haifa just to see this. I did. But Haifa is a really important port city as well. It's a really important tech city. In Haifa itself, it doesn't have a lot of historic sites, but a lot of people who are visiting Caesarea and Accra and some sites like that, Haifa is in that same area, so they'll visit Haifa as well. Or maybe they'll stay in Haifa if they want to spend a day and go visit some of those areas without having to continue on and drive and go back and stay in Tel Aviv. That's kind of generally the north of Israel. You have the Galilee region in the northeast, Galilee, Golan Heights. You have Haifa in the northwest. If you go sort of the north, central area you have that's where nazareth is and then when you come down you kind of have to look at a map to follow us on this because if you come sort of due south the west bank borders are going to kind of protrude into and this is where i was talking about israel at its narrowest point being only eight miles wide you can kind of see that if you go due south from nazareth for example you're going to run into the west bank but if you continue on down past this narrow little corridor you're going to come down to another area of Israel, which is what we've talked about, which is sort of the Tel Aviv-Jaffa area. And let me just say too, sometimes you'll hear it pronounced Jaffa, sometimes Yaffa with a Y, sometimes Yafo with an O. And it really just depends on sort of the language you're considering sort of the origin of that town's name. Jaffa, Jaffo, Yaffa, Yafo. You'll see all of these different transliterations. But that area around Tel Aviv and Jaffa is another major area of Israel. If you sort of follow the map around, you follow the West Bank border around, there's this little area, almost like a little peninsula in Israel proper that juts into the West Bank towards the Jordan River, towards the Jordanian border. And that's where you're going to find Jerusalem. And so Whitney, what are some of the sites that are in and around Jerusalem? If you base yourself in Jerusalem, give everybody a sense of what you can see in the city of Jerusalem and what you can see in a reasonable, not a long one, but a reasonable day trip from Jerusalem. Old City Jerusalem has everything. So how long do we have? Do we have another hour to talk about Jerusalem? We can do a part two. <laughs> we might need to do just a Jerusalem episode. Well, that's but, a good point, actually. We, you know, we should do, and we will do, specific episodes on all these places. Right now in the first couple of episodes, we're really trying to paint broad strokes. We're trying to talk about, for example, the first episode on misconceptions, on topics, second episode on airlines and how to get to Israel and things like that, the third episode on how to structure an itinerary. But in the future, we will do deep dives into these specific cities and sites. So don't worry about that. For your planning purposes, just know that you're going to want to spend probably three days just in Jerusalem. So just right outside of Jerusalem, you have the Yad Vashem Holocaust Remembrance Center, which is Israel's Holocaust Museum. So that's a must do. It's just a, a short light rail ride outside of Jerusalem. But in Jerusalem itself, you've got the Old City 
you've got the Temple Mount, you've got the Wailing Wall, you've got the City of David, you have David's tomb. Also, just right outside of Jerusalem city walls is the Mount of Olives. So every Christian is going to want to go to Mount of Olives. Every Jew is going to want to go to the Mount of Olives. And the Garden of Gethsemane is on the same hill as the Mount of Olives. So John actually, just logistically, my guide was not able to take me to the Mount of Olives. And so I went with John. And we walked from the Mount of Olives down to the Garden of Gethsemane and then walked right into Jerusalem. So it's walking distance. What else do you have to say about Jerusalem? You've been more times than I have. I have something to say about that experience you just talked about. This is a great thing that for folks to think about if you're planning a trip on your own. Okay. So the first time Whitney ever went to Israel, and I think folks who've listened to the first couple episodes can kind of get to know you by now. You know the things that are important to you. You are really into biblical history. These things are really significant and important to you. You want to see them. And I know that when we were secret shopping guides, when you were testing out some guides, you communicated to them that these are the things that are important to you. These are the things you wanted to see. But on this day that she's talking about, where she was testing out a guide in the old city of Jerusalem, and actually it was one of her first times there, and she had not seen the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives. This, John was like, we're going. <laughs> well, we're going the, right now. <laughs> because this guide should have taken you there. You told yeah. this person that you had not been there before. This was significant to you. It was very personal. It was very important to you. You gave them some categorical guidance. And they took that and chose sites to show you and, and spend your time on and your money on that did not include the most important things that you wanted to see. And when you told me that, I was just flabbergasted, to be honest. I mean, that's another thing people have to realize is, I mean, you can have a well-qualified guide. You can have a great guide. They can speak great English, but some of them might actually have their own agenda. If you are just throwing caution to the wind and picking somebody on the internet and you know maybe they have good reviews and maybe they've impressed you on email or something and you just hope that they're good or you think they're good, you're convinced they're good. I think this person you're with that day you thought was good. And you had rejected some others. And th- these were the ones that you thought were the best. And we were going to give them a try. And we, you know, we spent money secret shopping them and they didn't even take you. You were literally like right around the corner. They didn't take you to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane and to the church of the Holy Sepulcher. At the end of the day, Whitney told me she didn't go to these places. So we met up late after she finished and I'm like, where did you go? And she said, all these other places except these top places. And I'm like, okay, all right, uh, we're going there now. I'm going to be your guide (laughs) because you you just never know. I mean, you can think you found some of the best guides on the internet. You can think you have things set up on your own. And then you end up, I mean, had honestly, Whitney was kind of just being polite and she was like, oh, you know, I'll see it another time. I'll go next time. And I was like, no, this your like, you have to go. You have to see the stuff. (laughs) Like, I want you to see it. And luckily these places were open a little bit late. And so we could go, but if it had been one hour later, maybe we wouldn't have been able to go. And you know, unlike Whitney, for most people, Israel is a once-in-a-lifetime trip. Most people go there once. And if you miss something like this, if you miss plan, or if somebody has their own agenda or doesn't take you to where you really want to go, you could miss out on something so big like that. Actually, that's what I was most disappointed about and flabbergasted about was that this guy did not know that you will be in Israel a hundred times. This person, as far as they know, I don't remember if it was a man or a woman. That's what I'm saying. They. So it wasn't important to them. So she didn't quite understand how important it was to me. And I, so just to give you a little bit of behind the scenes with running a tour company, I had several guides and I had some fantastic guides. There were two or three guides. You're definitely going to see them on your trip with us. 
because they were awesome and amazing and wonderful. But there were a couple, two in particular, that I just was like, there is absolutely no way that I'm putting anybody on a tour with this person because either they refused to go to places for religious purposes, for their religious purposes, but they're guiding me. If they don't want to guide a Christian to Christian places, then we're not going to put them on a tour with a Christian group. You know, we might put them with a a Jewish group, but not with a Christian group because the Christian sites are the whole point to Christians. Just like the Jewish sites are the whole point to Jews. The Muslim sites are the whole point to Muslims. I just was really shocked that a tour guide who had gone through this extensive tour guiding process, because it is a process in Israel to become a tour guide, and they were refusing to go to some of the most popular places. And the lady that John is referencing in particular, who refused to take me to the Mount of Olives, I totally understood why, because the place where she would have needed to drop me off is in a Muslim area. And because it was Ramadan and because of, I'm sure, experiences that she has had or that people she knows have had, she did not want to drive through there because people could see her and know that she was Jewish. But just to let you know, we are not going to put you on a tour with a guide who refuses to take you to the most important places. And that's why we secret shop these people because they didn't know who I was. They didn't know that I was running a tour company or that I was trying them out because I needed to know how they're really going to be. I don't need to know how they're going to be when they're trying to impress me. I need to know how they're going to be with actual guests. (laughs) And if they're going to refuse to take you to the most important places, then we might use them on a different day to go to different places, but not for the places that are the most important to the Christian faith, if you're coming with us as Christian. Yeah. And and in addition to that, like you said, I mean, I can kind of understand the safety issue. If she was Jewish and she didn't feel comfortable going into a Muslim neighborhood, I get what she was saying. And actually, it was even a little bit more complicated than that because Whitney and I were trying to meet up after she finished the day and the guy didn't even want to drop her off where I wanted to meet her because she would have to go through a Muslim neighborhood to get there. And it was just kind of like, just tell her to drop her off, you off wherever. We'll meet up, whatever. Just Yeah, you know, we ended up taking a taxi. It, it yeah. ended up fine. But she knew that I wanted to go there. And she didn't yeah. tell me that she wasn't willing to go there until it was too late. So I couldn't have changed. So I could have made a different plan if I had known earlier that she wasn't going to go there. So this is why we test people out. <laughs> we have the bad experiences. So you can have the fantastic experiences. And I did have some fantastic experiences. I do want to say that we have some really amazing guides, but there are definitely some who didn't make the cut because they just refused to go to places. I think that should be our tagline. We have the bad experiences, so you can have the fantastic experiences. (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) You might see that show up on the website next. But yeah, I mean, even in addition to that, the safety issue, the Muslim neighborhoods, the Jewish person in the Muslim, all that aside, the biggest thing that shocked me about the whole experience that day was that she wouldn't even take you into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is not in a Muslim neighborhood. It's in a Christian neighborhood, the Christian part of the old city. The security is probably the tightest anywhere after the Western Wall. And the fact that I met up with you and you're like, I haven't seen the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And I was just like, we're going, let's just go there right now. We made a beeline there and um, yeah, and we luckily did. got to see it. And this was after I hiked up Masada. So I was exhausted. Oh, that was that same day? 
Yeah, that was that same day and you still made me go. And oh I'm still God. glad that you made me go. But I was like, I'll just run there tomorrow. Like, I'll just get up and go in the morning before anything starts. And John was like, no, you're going to go now. <laughs> well, and Whitney's being modest too. When she says she hiked up Masada, she literally hiked up Masada. When we normally say we hiked up Masada, we mean we took the cable car up the side of the mountain. I have been to Masada multiple times. I have never hiked literally up the cliff face. <laughs> Um, or did you hike up and down no i i hiked up okay. um i did take the cable car down for you did the hardest reasons, part and up. also because i want to still have my knees when i'm like 50 i want to okay. preserve my knees so i did take the cable car down but i hiked up it it really it was a beautiful hike i didn't think it was i mean it was challenging but i did it anybody can do it. <laughs> and actually that's another good thing too i didn't even think about that and we didn't even plan to talk about this but that's another good point mentioning Israel is a destination where if you are into fitness, if you want to get fit, if you want to get a little bit healthier, there are some places like Masada, many places all over Israel, Valley of Elah, where we went, many places in the Galilee where you can go. And if you go there and you say, like, I'm going to visit this, you're committed, you're going to do it. You can actually get in a lot of exercise if you want visiting some of these places in Israel. Now, if you're not capable of exerting that much. There are ways to do it where you don't have to strain yourself. For example, at Masada, there's a cable car going up and down the mountain. I have never hiked up and down the thing. I probably should. It would be great to burn some calories, but next I've, ne- I've next never done time Next you're time you're coming up with me and Steve. <laughs> All right. I think I think I just uh, I just got committed to that. So you just um, signed up. <laughs> actually, sidebar real quick. You know, one of the best fitness vacations I've ever had was I climbed Kilimanjaro one time and I did nothing but eat pasta three times a day. I mean, I shoveled pasta down my throat three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm not kidding. I had pasta for breakfast and I lost 10 pounds in five days. Wow. Doing nothing but eating pasta nonstop until I was stuffed every single day. So yeah, I mean, this is uh, Israel's another place like that where you can have a vacation where you're actually active, fit. If you're not fit, you can sort of get a, a boost on it, a head start because you're motivated to get to the top of that mountain to see what's up there, you know, to get to that site to see what's out there. And Israelis are super, super. Oh, this is a whole nother topic. Israelis are super active. They're super fit. There are lots of hiking trails all over Israel, hiking across the country. Long distance hikes are a very popular hobby in Israel, and they're like really well-marked hiking trails all across the country. Even Whitney, remember when we were in Tel Aviv? I got up. I never get up early. Whitney gets up early. I never get up early. One day I happened to get up early in Tel Aviv, and I texted Whitney, and I'm like, you've got to come down to the boardwalk to the the beach in Tel Aviv. You've got to come see. There are 5,000 people out here running right now. It is a super active city, Tel Aviv specifically, but also Israel in general. It's a very active, very fit country and society. Just a side note there, if you're into fitness, if you're into getting healthy, even if you're not healthy and you want to get healthy, Israel is a great destination to go get a head start or a boost on those life goals. So back to our original topic of what's in and around Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we talked about what's in Jerusalem, but as far as the day trip, so we mentioned Masada which was a totally worthwhile day trip. And the nice thing about day trips in Israel, because things are so compact, you can knock out several things in one day trip. So in my day trip to Masada, I also visited Jesus' baptismal site over on the Jordan River. I visited Qumran, which is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. They're no longer there, but the archaeological site is still there. But they are in the Israel Museum, which is another place you should visit in Jerusalem. That's right, in Jerusalem. 
so I could have gone to Engedi. I think I needed to get back. So I didn't have time to stop at Engedi and the Dead Sea. So I did all of those things except for Engedi on one day trip from Jerusalem. And it was fantastic. I could have spent more time at the Dead Sea. I'll definitely be going back to the Dead Sea. My husband is going to enjoy the Dead Sea. I think he likes to get in the water. I'm a beach person. I'm not so much a water person. Can I just give uh, a one little tip about the Dead Sea? And this is not even in our interest. I actually should probably not be saying this, but I'm going to say it because we want to be honest. We want to give honest reviews. We want to give honest advice. I think Israel is not the best place to experience the Dead Sea. If you go to Israel first and you want to see it and see what it's like, yeah, sure, go there. But if you have the chance to visit the Jordanian side of the Dead Sea, you have to be perfectly honest and say that is a better place to experience the Dead Sea. The resorts are better. They have better infrastructure over there. It's nicer. So anyway, just my two little cents on the sidebar there. And if you want to experience both, we can make that happen for you because Absolutely. We, obviously you'll be going to Israel with us, but we also can do add-on trips to Jordan and to Egypt. So if you did want to see the Dead Sea in Jordan, we can also take you there too. So shameless plug for us. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so that is one day trip. Another day trip from Jerusalem that is very doable is Bethlehem. And you, so here again, logistically, when you're planning your itinerary, you're going to need a different guide for Bethlehem and also Jericho, which are both in the West Bank. And Israeli guides are not allowed to give tours in Bethlehem, but there are Palestinian guides who can guide you in Bethlehem and also in Jericho. And I had a Palestinian Christian guide in Bethlehem and he was fantastic. His, I think I may have mentioned this in another episode, but his church is the church of the nativity. Like that is his home church that he just goes to. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you mean like over top of where Jesus was born? He's like, yeah, you know, I just go there on Sundays. <laughs> I'm like, holy moly. That was a, a very interesting perspective for me to be able to talk to him as a Palestinian Christian, because honestly, I did not know that there were Palestinian Christians before I went to the West Bank. So showing my ignorance there, but I'm not ignorant anymore. And neither are you. So Jericho, I actually missed out on Jericho because I did not have my logistics just right. What I should have done is had the same guide take me to both Bethlehem and Jericho in the same day. But because I was only there for a short time and because I was trying to see too much, I just missed out on Jericho. I felt I had to pick between Bethlehem and Jericho and I picked Bethlehem. But Jericho is at the top of my list for a future trip. So there's a tip for you. <laughs> I've actually, I've never been to Jericho. As many times as I've been to Israel, I've never been to Jericho. Well, it's on both of our lists now. Israel is also the type of place where you can go there many, many times like I have, and there's still going to be other places that you haven't been. I mean, there's so many places there. You can never see it all on one trip. Actually, that's a plug for come back two or three times, because if you spend seven, 10, 14 days there, you can see a lot. You can experience a lot. You can really embed and, and really have an enriching experience. But there's still going to be, I mean, I've been there probably a dozen times at least, and I have not been to Jericho. I had not been to the Valley of Elah until I was there with Whitney and she said, yeah, this is on the way to Tel Aviv. Let's stop off there. And I was, oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, let's go. And we had a full day there. It was an amazing experience. I never even knew it was right off the highway between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. So yeah, that is another excellent day trip from either Jerusalem or Tel Aviv because it's so the Valley of Allah is where the David and Goliath battle happened. Like you can still see the brook where he picked up the stones, where David picked up the stones. 
you can stand on the top of one side and look out into this valley and you can actually hike down into the valley and there's a are several trails and some are shorter and some are longer so or you could just look at it like you can just look and there it is you don't have to hike down if you're not able or just don't want to but that is something that was important to me to be able to go to that and john like i mean like he said had never you know even known that it was there so That's one of those hidden gems that I love to find wherever I go. It's definitely a place that I want to go back to and that I recommend to people always who want to go to Israel. So just to kind of review, let's just go back through a couple of the things we were talking about earlier, just in general. What would you say is your top recommendation for how to structure an itinerary in Israel? And maybe we should say top two or three, because like we mentioned earlier on, there's multiple ways to skin this cat. Depends on your interests depends on your perspective. You can hit the big sites first and then work your way down. Maybe you're going to Israel not for religious tourism, not for historical tourism. Maybe you're going because you've heard about the amazing nightlife scene in Tel Aviv. And obviously that would be a very different itinerary than if you're going for a spiritual journey or you're going for historical tourism. Talked about how maybe you want to follow, if you're going for religious tourism, you want to follow the life of Jesus chronologically. Let me just ask you, Whitney, what do you think, maybe it's sort of the top one or two itineraries that you would recommend that people consider when planning a trip to Israel? I would say consider starting in Galilee. I felt like that was a very logical and efficient way to structure my itinerary for my first trip. Definitely spend three or four days in Jerusalem if you have the time, because there's just so much to see. And I would say end in Tel Aviv because of the beach, because of the, just the, you really need to see both sides of Israel. Like you need to see the religious side, the devout side, the calm side, and then you need to see the crazy side over in Tel Aviv, beaches and clubs. My advice to people is to definitely stay in Galilee, Jerusalem, and Tel Aviv. That order made sense to me if something else you feel like would be better for you, then go for it. But definitely plan to stay in at least three places while you're there to really cover a lot of ground. What would you say was your number one? Yeah, I'd say that's good advice. Stay in three places. If you stay in two, you're going to be doing some long day trips like we talked about earlier. If you stay in one, that's just honestly just not even advisable. Again, unless you have to. Maybe if honestly you only have five days or three days because you're maybe visiting Turkey or Jordan or Egypt and you only have three days to visit Israel. Okay. Stay in one place. It's better to go than to not go. I was just going to say that is definitely better to go. If you only have a few days, it is better to go than to not go or to wait for the perfect timing so you can spend two weeks. You may never be able to spend two weeks, but if you can spend three or four days, go for it is totally worth it to just spend a little bit of time as opposed to zero time. And honestly, Israel is the place that I would recommend going back to more than once. I mean, if you can, if your first trip, you can only do as an add-on from a neighboring country, Egypt, Jordan, Turkey, Greece, then by all means go for those couple of days. Israel, I think in itself is a standalone trip. You could go there for 10 days and you would still feel like you missed a couple of things. But for me, you know, Whitney and I have different travel styles. I would go to Jerusalem first. I'd spend the first couple of days there. I'd swing up to the Galilee. I'd spend at least one night there. I don't know if I would spend two nights. I would personally, I'd probably spend one night there, but I'd go early. I'd see everything I could up there in one day, spend the night see everything I could up there in the second day, maybe swing down to Nazareth, up to Haifa, and then down to Tel Aviv. 
But I think what we agree on is start in either the Galilee or Jerusalem and then end in Tel Aviv. Now, I'll say this. All of that is assuming that you're flying in and out of Israel. If you are, now let me just, this is another substantive point I'll say, and then I know this episode is going on a long time. We should probably wrap it up. But this is an important point that I forgot about that we should actually mention. It ties in really well here. If you are visiting Jordan and you're going to cross over the land border, there are two ways you're going to visit Jordan after Israel. You can fly. Royal Jordanian Airlines flies between Amman and Tel Aviv, even though it's about three seconds in the air. There are flights between Amman and Tel Aviv, but most people, I think, take the land border across, and there are three border crossings to get over to Jordan. And so if you are going to take one of the border crossings to Jordan, and that's how you're going to end your trip into Israel by transitioning over to Jordan and and continuing on there and flying out of Amman, maybe, then you might consider... So for example, one of the border crossings with Jordan is right outside of Jerusalem. So then it wouldn't make that much sense to start in Jerusalem and then go around the country and come back to Jerusalem to do your border crossing into Jordan. In that case, you might want to end up in Jerusalem. There are also two other border crossings, one further in the north, sort of between Nazareth and the Galilee. There's another one in the far, far south down in Elat on the Red Sea. People use that one normally if they're going to go to Petra in Jordan. If you're going to cross the border and go into Jordan and continue on your journey there, the way we would structure a trip and the way we've been talking about this whole episode would not make the most sense. But again, so for example, if you're going to cross into Jordan in the northern border crossing, that would be a good rationale to end in the Galilee region because that border crossing is in the Galilee region. So if you were to start, for example, in Jerusalem, then go west to Tel Aviv, then go north to you know Haifa or the Galilee, then you end your trip in Israel in the Galilee region and cross the border right there in that region. If you're going to cross in the south and go to Petra by land, you could actually do any of the options that Whitney and I talked about. You could start in Jerusalem, you could start in the Galilee, you could come down, you could do Tel Aviv, and then you could go down to the far south to Haifa and cross over into Aqaba, Jordan. But again, it all depends on what your goals are, what you want to see, what your priorities are, what your perspective is. There's so many variables. It's complicated, but it's not, but it is. All the more reason, seriously, reach out to us if you have questions. If you want advice, if you want to pick our brain, even if you have an itinerary that you think will work and you want to just run it by us, send us an email, please. Over the past 20 years, I've had so many people send me emails and say, this itinerary makes the most sense to me. I was thinking of doing this. And there's some red flag in there that I see that they don't pick up on. I've literally had people, did I tell you about this girl, Whitney, who emailed me on her layover in Brussels? And she was, oh, she had this itinerary where she was she was not going to be able to make it where she was going because she didn't realize there was a checkpoint. She didn't realize the checkpoint closed at a certain hour. That's another thing too. The, the border crossings between Israel and Jordan close at different hours and not all the same. The one in the north closes really early. I think about 3.30 p.m. on most days. The one in the middle, you can't get a visa for Jordan from that border crossing. You have to get it in advance. The one in the north and the south, you can. There are so many things like this that are either not published or you just have to know from experience. Seriously, if you have questions, if people want advice, if you want to know things, just even if you want to run an itinerary or ideas by us, please feel free to email us. Please feel free to reach out to us. Whitney, if somebody wants to email you, how can they find you? So if you want to email me, you are welcome to. And my email address is Whitney at elevationjourneys.com. And Whitney is spelled W-H-I-T-N-E-Y at elevationjourneys.com. 
And just in case you're wondering if we're really serious. So the way that I know John is that I went to Egypt with his travel company and I did email him several times and I had a lot of questions and I was one of those people who emailed him a possible itinerary. And I was like, can you just tell me if this makes sense? And he was like, actually, this one part in here is not going to work. So <laughs> he's the real deal. He really means it when he says email us. And I really mean it when I say email me because we really are here to help. We want you to have the best trip possible. And if that is with us, that's wonderful. But if you need to go it on your own for one reason or another, we just want to make sure that you have the best experience possible. And I think we even did a Zoom call too. Like we actually... I mean, oh, sugar. We did like three or four Zoom calls. You met my <laughs> husband on Zoom. We, <laughs> I had a lot. So I'm a travel blogger. And so I was asking like very detailed questions, like kind of down in the weeds, just to make sure that I was giving the correct information and giving it in the correct way. And John was just there for it. He answered every single one. <laughs> and I probably asked, I don't know, 100 or 200 questions or something like that. So don't be afraid to reach out to us. Yeah. I mean, hopefully you can tell by hearing us talk, by hearing our conversation, by knowing the fact that we're doing this, you haven't heard any ads on this yet, have you? I mean, we're, we're doing this because we love travel. We love sharing information and we genuinely want to help people. That's how Whitney and I met. I, you know, She had questions. She was going to Egypt. I genuinely wanted to help. She reached out. That's kind of the, the, the point of this whole podcast and point of IsraelTravelBlog.com is we want to be a resource. We first and foremost want to share information. We want to share our brain, share our experiences, share our knowledge with folks. If you want to travel to Israel with us, great. If not, and you still have questions, you're traveling with somebody else or on your own, feel free to tap us as a resource as well. We are here to share what we know to help you to help make your amazing bucket list trip of a lifetime to Israel all that it can be to help elevate your journey, elevate your faith, elevate your trip, elevate your experience. And hopefully you will help elevate us. So on that topic, please go leave us if you get a chance. If you think about it, if you have an opportunity, leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform. And please also leave a textual comment. Let us know, let others know why you like it, what you found helpful, because think about it. Many people see just the title of a podcast or the title of an episode, and they're thinking, uh, is this worth my time? Should I invest 50 minutes, 30 minutes? I don't know how long has it been, an hour and 10 minutes? I don't oh, know wow. how long this episode is. If you found it helpful, leave a comment and let other people know, because that's how the podcast gets boosted up in the rankings. That's how other people are able to decide if they might get something out of it. And hopefully they will. Hopefully you have, hopefully they will, and hopefully many more people will in the future. Have I left anything out, Whitney? I think that covers everything. And then a little bit more. Everything so on this topic. A great job. <laughs> because we will be back with more topics on travel to and around Israel on the Israel Travel Podcast. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. We just really appreciate it and be on the lookout for more podcast episodes coming soon. Check out our blog at israeltravelblog.com and check out our website, elevationjourneys.com. And again, email us if you have questions. My email address is Whitney at elevationjourneys.com. And we can't wait to talk to you again soon. Bye everybody. Bye.